story is told of a pastor who was preaching on the importance of forgiveness. When the pastor got about a third of the way through the sermon, he said, raise your hand if you are now willing to forgive all your enemies. About half the congregation raised their hands. So the pastor continued preaching. When he was about two-thirds of the way through the sermon, he said, raise your hand now if you're willing to forgive all your enemies. At this point, about three-quarters of the congregation raised their hands. So the pastor continued his sermon. When he had completely finished his message, the pastor asked one final time, raise your hand now if you truly are willing to forgive all your enemies. With that, everyone in the congregation raised their hands. Everyone, that is, except for one little old lady who was sitting in the front row. The pastor looked at the lady and said, Ma'am, why are you still unwilling to forgive all your enemies? It's simple, responded the lady. I have no enemies. Amen. That's the way it should be. But the pastor was amazed by this, and uh, he said, If you don't mind my asking, how old are you? Ninety-six years old was the response. You could hear the audible oohs and ahs from the congregation as they were amazed to live such a full life and not have any enemies. And so the pastor really wanted to know what the secret was. How could someone do that? And he thought it'd be good for the rest of the congregation to hear this as well. So he asked the lady to just simply stand up and address the the rest of the congregation. The little old lady slowly stood up. She turned around and she said to the rest of the people in her church, it's really quite simple. I've outlived them all. (laughs) Of course, we know from Scripture that God wants us to forgive. Jesus talked about that multiple times while he was on this earth. And on top of that, we're giving the reason as to why we're forgiven. Ephesians 4.32, it's because God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. So we should then be willing to pass that on and forgive others. If we choose to not forgive, we're going down a road of bitterness and pain and misery, not only for us, but many times for the people around us. On top of that, we should do our best to be at peace with everyone. Romans 12, 18 talks about that. Now, by its very nature, if we're trying to live at peace with everyone else, then we're not trying to create enemies. But let me ask you tonight, have you ever tried to help someone? You were there for the individual. Maybe it was even a situation where you shared the gospel with that other person and they trusted in Christ. God used that you to help them understand salvation And that person trusted in Christ, you discipled them, you helped them grow in their walk with the Lord. And yet some point down the road, that individual turned on you and they started treating you as if you were the enemy. Well, did you know that happened with the Apostle Paul? Paul and his missionary team would go into different areas and the the epistle that we're going through right now, the book of Galatians, he went into that region of Galatia. He shared the message of salvation. And many people trusted in Christ. They established churches. I'm sure it was not easy for Paul or the others that were with him to do this. They would have taken a lot of time, a lot of resources, and a lot of effort on their part. Certainly, it would have been much easier for Paul to just simply stay at home and enjoy the salvation that he had. But he didn't. And this was because he was passionate about the things of God. He was passionate about eternity. He cared for things that outlasted this life. He had set his affection on things above, not on things of this world. And that's why Paul was a missionary and a church planter. But when it came to these churches in the region of Galatia, as we've seen in this study, false teachers came in after Paul had left. And these false teachers said, yes, Jesus Christ is important, but he's also not enough. 
You need good works. You need to keep the Jewish law and you need circumcision. That's what will help save you. And of course, that's why Paul wrote the book of Galatians. It was an epistle that was inspired by God and it's written in defense of the gospel. As we've seen over the last 11 weeks of this series, Paul makes point after point after point stating that eternal salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. It's not of works. Keeping of the law does nothing to save us or keep us saved. And we've seen that over the past three and a half chapters of this book. Paul didn't hold back. He really laid into these believers for following false doctrine, false teaching. And uh, this was because it was such a huge issue. By the way, this should be a big issue to us. This shouldn't just be a big issue to the Apostle Paul or to pastor or to other church leadership. This should be a huge deal to all of us. This is people's eternal destiny at stake. That's how important this is. If someone is adding works to the gospel, they're perverting the good news of salvation. They're teaching another gospel, which, as Paul talks about back in verse 1, is not a gospel. It's not good news. And uh, with that, they're also accursed, meaning they're under judgment from God. So this should not be taken lightly. The clarity of the gospel must be a priority. And we see that in Paul's writing here, he took a strong stand on the gospel. He never backs down from it. But as we'll read tonight, you'll notice that Paul's tone softens ever so slightly. And that brings us to our first point tonight, Paul's appeal. Paul's appeal. He makes it an appeal to the believers here in this region of Galatia. As we've covered the first three and a half chapters of this book, you might have thought that Paul was impersonal in the way that he addressed them and the way that he dealt with the issues that were going on in these churches. But as one commentator observed, Paul knew how to balance correction with love. He knew how to reprimand them, but then also remind them of the love that he had for them. I mean, even in in what we're going to read tonight, you'll see Paul recall the time that he spent with them. He recalls it with fondness because of all that the people there meant to him. Paul had invested so much of himself into these Galatian churches, but when this epistle was written, Paul felt as if these believers were now treating him as if he was the enemy. That sounds crazy. But that's exactly what transpired because the believers had fallen for false doctrine, false teaching. Tonight we'll even see Paul go so far as to ask the question, have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? Paul had done nothing but good for these people. He had gone well out of his way to do so, and now these people had acted as if he was the enemy. I'm getting ahead of myself though. Before we get to that point, we're going to backtrack just a few verses so we can get a running start into what we're going to cover this evening. It'll also help provide a context to what we're going to read. Look at Galatians 4, verse 8. Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. Now remember, these were not Jewish believers that Paul was writing to. Rather, they were Gentiles. And before they got saved, they had worshipped false idols false gods. They were involved in pagan religion, which had all sorts of strange, strange gods. But then they understood the message of salvation. They had placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone to save them. They were saved. And then after that, Paul had left. And as I mentioned, that's when the false teachers came in. The Judaizers came in 
and started mixing works with the clear message of grace. And so these believers in these churches had gone from the bondage of false pagan Gentile religion to knowing that they were saved. They had placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone to save them. And while they were saved, they had gotten confused and started perverting the clear message of salvation. Paul talks about that over the next few verses. Look at verse 9. But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, so after they got saved, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. Paul's saying you were in bondage to your old pagan religion. Then you were given freedom in Christ, and now you're going back into bondage. This time, though, it's to the ceremonies and traditions of the Jewish law. Verse 10, you observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I bestowed upon you labors in vain. Paul's emphasizing the fact that he was really concerned about these people. He'd invested so much of his time into them in hopes that they would grow in their walk with the Lord and that they would now take this clear message of grace and share that with people who were in their community. He had invested a lot into them. He had taught them so much, but now they had pushed all that aside to adopt false doctrine. Paul continues in verse 12. By the way, I want you to notice the first word of verse 12. What is it? Brethren, brethren. Some people may look at verse 11 and wonder, was Paul questioning the salvation of these people in the churches there in Galatia? Did these people lose their salvation? Were they ever saved to begin with? Is that what Paul is saying in verse 11 where he states, he was afraid of them lest he had bestowed upon them labor in vain? Well, the answer to that is clearly no. No, he wasn't questioning their salvation. He knew they were saved because he calls them brethren. And as I pointed out already, these were Gentile regents. People in these, these uh, areas were not Jewish, and so they would not have been fellow brethren in that sense, not physical brethren. Rather, they were brothers and sisters in Christ. What Paul was worried about in verse 11 was that they weren't growing in their walk with the Lord. They weren't sharing the clear message of salvation. Instead, they were teaching something that was not the gospel. Paul continues in verse 12, Brethren, or fellow believers, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Paul said, I am as ye are. In essence, he's saying, I am living like a Gentile, in the sense that he's not putting himself under the law. I'm living like you. I'm not under the bondage of, of the Mosaic law. And so he encourages them to be like him. He says, I beseech you, be as I am. Stop trying to live under the Jewish law. Don't, don't put yourself under it. And then he ends the verse by saying, ye have not injured me at all. By following false doctrine, the believers there in Galatia had not injured Paul. Oh, he was bothered by it. We see that in the fact that he wrote this letter by his own hand, something he didn't do too often. But they hadn't injured Paul by what they had done. Rather, Paul was the one worried about them. He was worried about them. That leads us into verse 13. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. We've seen the appeal that Paul made to these believers, and, and we've seen that his tone has softened ever so slightly. And in this, we also find he began describing an infirmity which he had. Point number two tonight, Paul's infirmity. Paul's infirmity. When Paul first preached to these, these people here in the region of Galatia, he was dealing with some type of physical ailment. 
We aren't told specifically what it was, but it would seem to make sense that the infirmity in the flesh could also be the thorn in the flesh. That's described in the first half of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Whatever issue he had here, it would seem that it was very obvious to others. This physical ailment could be seen by them. Because he continues talking about it into verse 14. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, he despised not, nor rejected. Paul went to these people. He had this physical ailment. But the people there didn't reject him. They didn't push him to the side. Rather, they listened to what he had to say and they believed. We know this because as you continue reading this verse, it says, But received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. So when Paul first preached to the people in this region, they received it. They believed it. They loved it. In fact, they loved it so much, they received the Apostle Paul as if he was an angel from God, a messenger from God. They received Paul as if they would have received Christ Jesus. In this, they saw past Paul's physical ailment, and they saw just how incredible the news that he brought to them was, this message of salvation. Verse 15, where is then the blessedness she spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. In a past message, Pastor Kakuza had mentioned that he believed the infirmity of the flesh or the thorn of the flesh um, was an eye ailment. Back during this time period, they dealt with a lot of physical problems that the doctors and physicians of that time had no idea how to handle. They didn't know how to cure it. One such issue was uh, somewhat common. It was an eye ailment. And with it, it was an infection of the eye. It was hard to get rid of. Uh, There would be pus that would drain from the eye. I mean, it sounds absolutely miserable the more you study it. Can you imagine trying to share the gospel with another person while you're dealing with an eye issue like that? You can see where the other person that's trying to listen to you would be a little bit squeamish and, and maybe try to ostracize you and get to the other side of the street before you could talk to them. You could see where people would get distracted. But it would make sense then that this issue Paul's describing here was an eye issue because he even says that if it had been possible, the Galatian believers would have plucked out their own eyes and given them to the Apostle Paul. That's how much they loved him. Again, we don't know for sure if that's what the issue was, but it seems to make sense from all that we're told. Whatever it was, you can see the point that Paul's making. These Galatian believers loved Paul. They genuinely cared about him. They wanted what was best for him, which leads us right into verse 16. And this is where we get the title for tonight's message. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? What a powerful, powerful verse. A verse which probably many of us can relate to. Let's look at this on a personal level. This is a situation where you share the good news of salvation with another person. They trust in Christ. God used you to be a blessing to that person, and you didn't stop there. Maybe you invited them to church. Maybe you took the time to personally disciple them. You showed them the ways of God. Uh, You helped to show them what the Word of God had to say. But as you've done this, at some point, you then needed to confront the other individual for something that was wrong in their life. Maybe it was a doctrinal issue. Maybe it was a character concern. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it was related to the family. That that person wasn't treating their spouse in the right way or their children in the right way. Uh, Could have been something else entirely. You get the idea. You confronted the other person for what was done. Well, it might encourage you to know that Paul had to do this many times. 
We see it throughout the book of Acts. We find it in many of his epistles. We even see it here in our study in the book of Galatians. He had to confront a lot of people. That brings us to our third point tonight, Paul's confrontation. Paul's confrontation. As you can see from your verse sheet, I've got two subpoints under this main point. It's two different perspectives. First, we're going to look at the perspective of the confronter. The, per, the perspective of the confronter. The one who's doing the confronting. No one likes confrontation, do they? It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. Uh, and as you confront the other person, you're usually not sure how that individual is going to react. How are they going to receive the news that you have to give them? But did you know that confrontation is part of the Christian life? Now, before anyone gets too excited and starts pointing fingers at everybody else around them, um, let me be very clear to say that God has a plan in place as far as how we should confront others. We're not going to dig too much into that tonight because that'll be part of a future message. Paul talks about it at the beginning of Galatians chapter 6. But confrontation is part of the Christian life and it should be done in the right way, in a God-honoring way. There's many different places where confrontation takes place in life. Uh, one such example would be in training your children. We know for sure God wants us to confront our children. We're to raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That means we're to train them in the ways of God. And there's a lot that goes into that. But when our children are wrong, we need to confront them on it and show them the right way the way that God would have them to go. Now, again, let me emphasize, even when it comes to our children, we need to do it in the right way, the God-honoring way. So it could be confronting your child. Um, it could be confronting a close friend or a relative that you have. Maybe it's even confronting someone in a ministry that you're in charge of. You're the one overseeing it, and there's a lot of volunteers that are involved in it, and you need to confront someone just to help them get on the right track and get them back where they should be. And even though you've been there for that person, you've helped that individual grow, well, now you confront them. You try to do it in the nicest way possible. But as soon as you do that, it seems like the other person gives you the cold shoulder. You can tell right away that they don't want to have anything to do with what you're saying. That they want to get as far away from you as they can. And you might even wonder in your mind, the words that Paul wrote here, have I become your enemy because I've told you the truth? Again, probably many of us can empathize with what Paul is describing in this verse. Somehow you've become the enemy even though you were only trying to help that other person. Nobody likes that. So, realizing that, on the flip side, when you or I are now the ones who are being confronted for something that's wrong, may we do it, and to the best of our ability, may we not become offended. Don't become offended. We've seen this truth from the perspective of the confronter, the one who's doing the confronting. Now that brings us to the second subpoint there, the perspective of the confronted. The perspective of the confronted, the one who is confronted for what they've done. When someone confronts you, don't take it personal. Not everything in life needs to be personal. Uh, try not to get a victim mentality where you start to think, woe is me. Everybody hates me. Everybody's against me. And, and, you know, you don't have any friends. It's easy to do that. By the way, that is the easy way to handle it, to let your emotions kick in and to get upset at the person who's confronting you. Um, that's your old nature, your flesh, your pride kicking in is really what it is. But that's not the way God wants us to handle it. Proverbs 29 verse 1 explains how God wants us to receive reproof or correction. 
That verse says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. So when we're confronted for something that we did that was wrong, maybe we did it unknowingly, maybe we did it fully knowing that it was wrong. Either way, when we're confronted, God doesn't want us to harden ourselves and treat the other person as the enemy. Because when we do that, we're living life based on our feelings. As God says there in Proverbs 29 verse 1, we will be destroyed. We're destroying ourselves in the process. A good friend, a real friend, will tell you what you need to hear and not just what you want to hear. So may I encourage you tonight, the next time that pastor or someone else has to confront you or I on something in our lives, don't get offended by it. Don't take it personal. Instead, try to take the correction to heart. And in the process, we can improve our lives and we won't destroy ourselves. Don't look at the other person as your enemy. Instead, we need to see them as someone who cares enough about us that they don't want us to continue down that path. They want us to correct the wrong that's taking place. The Galatian believers did not do this. Instead, they treated Paul as if he was the enemy. And why were they doing this? Why were they now treating Paul in this manner? Well, let's look one more time at Galatians 4 verse 16. It says, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? So why did they turn against Paul? It was because he was telling them the truth. Paul hadn't done anything wrong. He was simply sharing the truth with them. By the way, truth is not arbitrary. Truth is not something that everyone has and everybody's got their own set of truths. No, that's not how it works. Truth is the word of God. That's where we find it. Sometimes people just simply don't want to hear it. And even though you've invested a lot into them, a lot of time, maybe even resources into them, they're just not willing to listen. I love how Pastor Kakuza described this in his commentary. He said, when a person comes under conviction and does not want to change, they will attack the one God used to bring them under conviction. This is true in a lot of different areas of life, and certainly that's the case when it comes to the clear gospel message. Of course, that is specifically what Paul was dealing with as he wrote this verse and as he was addressing addressing the Galatian believers. This was all because the Galatian believers had started believing lies. Those Judaizers had come in. They taught lies. The Galatian believers had believed it. And now Paul's trying to correct that. That's when they started treating him as if he was the enemy. As, As I've said multiple times in this series, because it's come up multiple times, be very careful who you listen to. Be careful of the preachers that you watch on TV or YouTube. Be careful of the social media personalities you follow. Be careful of the books you read. That can have an impact on you. And as most of you know, uh, the most believable lies are the ones that are mixed with truth. That's what makes them believable. So maybe that preacher you're listening to shares a verse. And what they say about it seems to make sense. But they're sharing it out of context. If you had read the verses before or after or understood who was being spoken about or who was being written to, it would completely change the meaning of what that preacher had said. And so again, be very careful. Hold your spot in Galatians 4 and turn with me now to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy is another epistle which Paul wrote. In it, he encouraged a young pastor, a guy named Timothy, to stand for the truth and also stand against false teaching. 
While this was written to a pastor, I think there's application we can all take away from it because we're all in this spiritual battle. Look at 2 Timothy 4 verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That word endure means to put up with. The day will come when people are not going to put up with sound Bible teaching. But after their own lusts, their own wrong desires, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So they're going to go find a preacher who will tell them what they want to hear, when they want to hear it, and even how they want to hear it. And in this day and age with the internet and uh, social media, that's easier to do than any previous time period. If a person feels convicted by what the pastor is preaching, they can easily go online and find whatever sermon they want to hear. And uh, it's easy to do. One commentator put it this way, describing the verses I just read. They want religious entertainment from Christian performers who will tickle their ears. The man who simply opens the Bible is rejected, while the shallow religious entertainer becomes a celebrity. That's very well put. And even though I think that quote was from uh, a few decades ago, it it certainly sums up today's culture. 2 Timothy 4 verse 4 continues, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned on to fables. These first four verses of 2 Timothy 4 could perfectly describe the Galatian believers. They had turned on Paul. They treated him as an enemy simply because he shared the truth with them, and they didn't want to hear it. But you know what? The same problem takes place in many different parts of our world today. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of people who are interested in the truth. They want something that tickles their ears and makes them feel good. Uh, When they go to church, they want to feel comfortable. They don't want to be convicted by the word of God or by anyone else. And of course, uh, God warns us against that mindset. Let's go back to our main text. If you're not already there, turn to Galatians chapter 4. We find in Galatians 4.16, Paul was preaching the truth. This was consistent with everything else that we find in his epistles and really everything else that we find in Scripture as a whole. Because Paul's message hadn't changed, it was their message that had changed. Paul's teaching hadn't changed, it was their teaching that had changed. The truth never changes. People change, but the truth doesn't. We're in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 17. As we read, keep in mind that Paul is describing false teachers. And in this, he provides a warning, which is our fourth and final point this evening. Paul's warning. Paul's warning. Paul writes in verse 17, They, the false teachers, zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. Paul is saying that the Judaizers were having an impact on these Galatian believers, but it wasn't a good impact. It was a bad impact. And the reason they were doing this was they were trying to exclude the Galatian believers from the truth, the truth of a scripture. They would exclude you. These false teachers were doing that because they wanted the Galatian believers to zealously follow them. They didn't want them to follow Paul's teaching or the truth. They wanted to have a following. Verse 18, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. So don't just do what's right simply because someone is with you. Do it all the time. That's just as true for us as it was roughly 2,000 years ago when the Galatians received this letter. 
Verse 19, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. We'll dig more into those two verses in next Sunday night's message, Lord willing, um, as we finish this chapter. But as we saw toward the beginning of the message, I wanted you to see again here at the end of the message, Paul truly cared for these Galatian believers. It really bothered Paul that they had gone astray, that they followed false teaching. It didn't make sense to him as to why they would want to live under the bondage of the Jewish law. Paul even expresses his desire to be with them in person so he could better communicate this point, which is incredible to me because we've seen how many different ways over the last three and a half chapters he's communicated this very point. But he says, hey, I wish I could be with you in person. I wish that I could help you in this. And that's how much Paul loved these believers. He hated seeing them being led astray. May we learn from Paul. May we have the same desire for the truth, to stand on what is right, no matter the consequences. May we stand strong on the word of God and on the clear message of grace, which we find in the pages of Scripture. And like Paul, may we genuinely care for others, even when that means we need to confront them for something that is wrong in their life. And then on the flip side, when we are the ones being confronted, may we not take it personal. May we not get a victim mentality and treat the other person like the enemy. May we see it as an opportunity to improve and not destroy ourselves. If we really care about others, then obviously we don't want them to spend an eternity separated from God in hell. Instead, we want to see them spend eternity in heaven. And that's our message as a church salvation, and then once a person is saved, discipleship. That's why we have the events we do and the ministries that we offer. Maybe you're here tonight, though, or you happen to be watching online, and you're not sure where you're going to go when this life is over. Well, I've got good news for you. God tells us in his word that we can know we're going to go to heaven. God makes it very clear that we're all sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. That includes you. That includes me. We're all sinners. Romans 6.23 continues that the wages of sin is death. So we've all earned death. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Uh, It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, thankfully, uh, Romans 6.23 continues that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So yes, we've sinned. Our sin separates us from God. We deserve to spend an eternity in hell. And there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. But God loved you and I so much, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He took our place on the cross. He made the the payment for our sins that we could never make. And when we place our faith in Jesus alone to save us, at that moment, we have everlasting life. Let me illustrate it this way. This is uh, one of the best ways we know to to communicate the gospel. Let this hand represent you and I in the entire world. And let this wallet represent our sin. God loves us. God hates our sin. He loved us so much he sent his only son, only begotten son, to come and take our place on the cross. Let this hand represent Jesus Christ. And I mean that very reverently. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a perfect, spotless life. He died on the cross. He shed his blood, paying for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day, making the full payment. When we place our faith in Jesus alone, we have everlasting life. Our sin debt is paid for. There's nothing keeping us out of heaven. And now, when we trust in Jesus alone to save us, we can know we're going to heaven. Not because I say it, but because God says it.
Let me read one final verse to you as we wrap up the message tonight. 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, those of you who have believed on Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. We don't have to wonder or doubt or hope one day we'll get to heaven. We can know we're on our way to heaven because we placed our faith in Jesus alone. He paid this in debt in full. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. If you haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus to save you, don't wait. Don't put it off. You never know what the day may hold. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Would you please bow with me as we'll wrap up in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for the clear message of salvation. We're thankful for your word that declares it to us. Um, We're thankful for the opportunity that you give us after we're saved to now grow. Not to stay saved or to be saved or to keep our salvation, but just simply to grow in our walk with you, to to have joy and peace which you offer. Uh, Be with us now. Help us to stand for what is right just as Paul did and to do it in a loving, caring way for a world that is lost and dying and needs you. Help us to share that clear message of salvation. And uh, we also pray for this Saturday with the fall party, that the weather would cooperate. Pray that many people would see the advertisements and come out, that they'd be open and receptive to the gospel, and that the day would be a blessing, and, and that people would even come to church from it. Be with us now as we head our separate ways for the week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening, and would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.